Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Well, with 20 minutes on the timer, we return to the book of Hebrews. It is a letter that is written generally to anyone who considers themselves of the Hebrew people, of the Jewish faith. Remember that all of the New Testament writers, except for Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, all of them were Jewish in both uh, ethnic background and religious background. Even if they had Greek-sounding names, often what it is is that we just had the Greek version of their name. You know, um, Peter or Petros, you know, would have been um, would have been a, a you know Simon, uh, Simon would have had a, a Jewish name. You know, John, um, you know, would have had a a Jewish version of the name and so on. You know, Matthew, that's why sometimes Matthew gets referred to as Levi, uh, either because Levi was his first name or because he was of the tribe of Levi, um, and, and so on and so on and so on. So they had these Greek Romanized names, but they were Jewish in ethnicity, in, in religious background and origin, and they came to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah that had been promised all throughout the Hebrew scriptures from Genesis through the writings of the prophet Malachi. And they believed not only that he was the Messiah, but they believed that he was God in human flesh. He was the very embodiment of God to humanity. And this book, the letter to the Hebrews is written by an author that's unknown. And if you want to go back to the first uh, episode that we looked at the book of Hebrews, uh, you'll see that there's debate about who wrote the book and there's different opinions. And I'm trying to stay away from uh, taking sides, even though I admittedly do have a soft opinion about it. That's back uh, in episode 86. But the point of the book, whoever the writer was, was to write to people of the similar background, people like them. Hey, I want you to know the thing that I have found. I want you to know the freedom I found. I want you to know the joy that I found. I want you to know the hope that I have found. And so the writer is writing to people like themselves, ethnically Jewish, religiously Jewish in background, and saying, hey, consider Jesus. Now you might say, Adam, you're not Jewish. That's correct. And you might say, Adam, I'm not Jewish. Okay. So you might say, what does this have to do with me? The book of the Hebrews seems to be something that only applies to a very specific type of person. Here's what I would say to that. There are people all over the world who have very strong identity backgrounds, both in their ethnicity and in their religious background or both. I, I've spoken, you know, I've been a believer in Jesus most of my life. And I've, I've spoken to people all over the world and from all over the world about Jesus. I want to talk to people about Jesus. And one of the things that comes up often is this idea that I am not, uh, what you're talking about is not applicable to me, and the reason it's not applicable to me is that I am from this background or this identity or this tradition. 
Therefore, what you're saying is not applicable to me. Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? No, I'm Catholic. Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? No, I'm, I'm Mormon. That's funny to me. Now, I'm not comparing the two. I, I believe for all of the, the issues with Catholicism, I believe that, um, that they are within the church. Mormonism, I do not. I believe that Mormonism started as a cult, and Mormonism denies the non-negotiable things of the Christian faith. Whereas while I have great differences with many friends and brothers and sisters uh, in the Catholic Church, um, at the same time, I recognize them as brethren. And so I'm not comparing the two, but what's funny is over the years, I've had people say that, no, I'm Catholic. Well, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Wouldn't a Catholic want to talk about Jesus? And you realize that they're not actually Christians, they're just culturally Catholic. The same way that somebody from the South might be culturally Baptist, uh, or somebody from uh, another part of the world might be culturally this or that. Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? No, I'm Jewish. No, I can't talk to you about Jesus. No, I'm Muslim. Well, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus claimed to be your Messiah. The Muslim faith recognizes Jesus. Now, they don't agree about who Jesus is, and that's the, the breaking point, but couldn't we have a conversation? Couldn't we talk? And that's the point that the writer at the Hebrews is getting at. Couldn't we talk? And I believe that for those of us who aren't Jewish, we can still look and we can see conversations that are important and vital as we reach out to people like us. The writer to the Hebrews is reaching out to people like them. We are trying to reach out to people like us. For me, I reach out to Americans on the West Coast. I, I reach out to people that grew up in the church or grew up religious because I grew up in the church and I grew up religious and I want people to know Jesus and not religion. So every part of the book of the Hebrews is this invitation to come in and it's a conversation that we need to have, inviting people to Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 1, it, the writer says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. What does that mean? Remember we said uh, in a recent episode, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should do the che this kind of cheesy, silly saying, and you say, well, what is it there for? And remember that that indicates that everything being talked about going forward is in reaction to what was talked about previously. And in chapter 3, and in chapter 3, he, uh, the writer of the Hebrews warns against unbelief and rebellion to God, warns against hardening their hearts. He talks about how when Moses led the, the people of Israel out of captivity into freedom, then there were those who hardened their hearts to God and they made the golden calf or they didn't believe that God would bring them into the promised land safely. Even though they had experienced this opportunity of salvation, they had hardened their hearts. And in the same way, because of that, therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1, the writer says, we have this promise of rest, of freedom, of deliverance, and you're ex you have this experience right in front of you, don't harden your heart. Verse 2, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, speaking of their ancestors who had been delivered from bondage in Egypt. Now the writer is saying, we've had this good news preached to us as we've been offered freedom from the bondage and the slavery of our sins. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who believe enter that rest just as God has said. 
And then he quotes, So I declare an oath in my anger that they shall never enter into my rest. And here he is quoting from Psalm 95, verse 11, um, where, uh, where it's, the song is talking about this period of time where, where the people of Israel did not believe that God would bring them into the promised land. So God said, nope, you will not enter into the promised land. You won't enter into the land of rest. This generation will not enter in. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. Verse 4, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested of all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Now he's quoting, the, the writer is quoting from Psalm 95 and from Genesis 2 and making this comparison and this contracting. This idea it would exist within Jewish thought. It exists within Christian thought that on the seventh day, God ceased from his works. It is complete. It is done. He didn't need to rest because he was tired. He rested to enjoy his creation. But to those who would not enter into the land of promise by faith, God said, you will not enter in to my rest, to my enjoyment, to my freedom. So he's making this compare and contrast Um, verse 6, Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, since those who had formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God set a certain day, calling it today. And he said, when a long time later he spoke through David, as the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So the writer again quotes Psalm 95, which is a psalm of King David. And he says, hey, David said it again. Today, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about it another day. So what he is saying is this. If you think that we have rest by religious rules, that's the law for this conversation. Maybe it is, you know, in different religions, there's, you know, keeping the commands of the Quran or the Book of Mormon or the, the teachings of Buddha or, or of, of this person or that person. Um, in our own day, we have different religious, you know, things, idols and, and religious systems you have to live by. I disagree firmly with the idea that America is becoming less religious. I think our religion is just shifting. And I think there are kind of two competing religions in America right now. Uh, There is the religion of nationalism and there is the religion of secular moralism. Uh, One is usually represented on the right. One is usually represented on the left. Sometimes they get a little blurry. But these two competing religious systems, the idolatry of nationalism, the idolatry of secular moralism or secular moral purity. And these two ideas and philosophies and religious systems, moralities, are at war. And what the writer is saying is, if you think that religion will bring you rest, you are mistaken. And he's use, the writer is using their own history to prove the point. They got the Ten Commandments. They got the law through Moses. It did not bring them rest. They came to the land of promised. And because of their disobedience against God, they were not allowed to enter into the land of rest. And if you think, he says, that 
that was enough. Oh, we've entered into the land of promise. We are in a geographic location. This is where we will find rest. The writer says, well, wait a minute. Then why is it that God later, hundreds of years later, spoke through King David in the Psalms, speaking about don't harden your heart, as if rest is not yet accomplished. One of the beliefs of the Christian faith, one of the proclamations of the gospel of Jesus is a concept of already and not yet. Already and not yet says this, that the kingdom of heaven is here. It is right now. Lives are being changed. Hearts are being transformed. Relationships that were broken are being renewed. Minds that were, were just shattered are being put back together. All of that is true. And at the same time, the kingdom of heaven is not yet. Jesus has not returned. When Jesus does return, he will put things right. What the Bible describes as the renewal of all things. There will be healing for the nations. The kingdom of heaven is already here. We see it. And yet it is not yet. It has not happened yet. So what the writer is saying is if you think that having rest comes from keeping rules, a certain moral purity, a certain geographic location, whatever it is, you are mistaken. Because if that was the case, God wouldn't have spoken after the people entered the promised land. There remains then a Sabbath day's rest for the people of God, verse 9. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. And that's speaking of the disobedience of the people of Israel who did not enter into the promised land. For the word of God is alive, active, sharper than any two-edged or double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So first of all, verses 8 through verse 11 is this plea that we make sure that we will Enter into the rest. Make every effort, it says in verse 11. Now, somebody might say, Adam, I've heard you say before, or I've heard other Christians say before, I've read in the Bible, that there is nothing that we can do. We do not enter into heaven. We are not saved. We don't become Christians. We don't have our sins forgiven by any human effort. I can't do enough good deeds to be right before God. I can't say enough prayers to be right before God. I can't do enough penance to be right before God. I can't go to purgatory, which is a made-up thing anyway, but even if it was real, there's no amount of purgatory that I could spend that would make me right before God. That's true. The Bible says uh, it is not of any work of righteousness that we have done. It is according to God's mercies that we have been saved. It says that in the book of Titus chapter 3. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I believe the writer of Hebrews agrees with that too, especially if it's Paul, like some people think, who also wrote Titus. 
what I believe is being said here when, when it says in verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter into the rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience is this basic idea. Consider Jesus. Walk with me on this. What if the writer of the Hebrews is saying this to my, my brothers and sisters? My, he's, what if the writer is saying to their fellow Jewish people, consider that Jesus might be the Messiah? Reject him. If you've, if you've considered and you've, you've, you've looked at everything and you've, you say, after all of that, I reject him. Okay, but don't waste any effort on, on not considering all the possibilities. I think that's okay, too. I think everybody should consider all of the possibilities. You know, I grew up in the Christian church. I grew up among Bible-believing people. I have considered other faiths. I know which faith I would follow if I were not a Christian. If I decided that religion, and, and there are those who believe this, by the way, if I decided that religion was an entirely mythical or fictional construct of, of, of the human psyche, and there are those who believe this, by the way, there are atheists who believe this, what I'm about to say. If I decided that, that religion was just something we made up, but it was valid for the human condition. There's something in humanity, at least at this stage in evolution, that needs religion. I know what religion I would be. Surprisingly, it may not actually be Christian, but there's reasons for that. Uh, and, and if you, I'm happy to get into that conversation elsewhere. I just don't have time right now. But here's the point. I have considered other faiths, and every time I do, it's not like I just considered them once. I, I still consider the, the, the teachings, the thoughts, the words of other faiths, of other perspectives. Every time I do, I come back to this same question. What does your faith do for my sins? Because I know my sins. I know that they are many. And I know that I can't do enough stations of the cross. I can't do enough acts of penance. There's no good deeds. Well, if I just try to make my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I know that my bad deeds still need judgment, still need to be accounted for, still need justice. And my only hope is what Jesus did on the cross, that when he died on the cross, that all of Adam's sins were placed on his shoulders and he, ex he was accepted as the sacrifice on my behalf. And that's where verse 12 comes in. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating the soul and the spirit. Judging the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God knows my deeds. The scripture shows me who I am and who God is. The Holy Spirit speaks to my spirit. Jesus is working and moving through his word, the Bible, and through his spirit that he has sent to work among the church. Judges between the soul and the spirit. We don't have time to get into it today, but soul and spirit is a really interesting concept and one that I think that there isn't a good understanding about within the church. But even in these mysterious things, these things that are hard to understand, I believe that the word of God is active and working and giving us the leading of God even through the mysterious things. Verse 14, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to 
uh, to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We're going to come back to this verses uh, next week just because we don't have time to get into them today. But I want to say this. The writer here has been reaching out to Jewish people who do not believe Jesus is the Messiah and imploring them, inviting them. Don't be like our ancestors. Don't be disobedient, but rather give every effort to obedience to God and consider Jesus. But here they transition and the writer begins to speak to those who do have faith. We have such a great high priest. We have such a great savior that we need to hold fast to him because he's the only hope we have. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-minute Bible study. You can follow us by searching at faith, or searching Faith on Hill at uh, Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcast. You can follow us on social media at Faith on Hill. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Small groups meet throughout the week, and our youth group meets on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. We'll see you next time as we continue to study the book of Hebrews in the 20-minute Bible study.